Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Good to have you with us. Thanks for taking your time to uh, tune in wherever you're at throughout the valley, Quad Cities, wherever you're at. Someone from Slovakia. Did I mention that? Slovakia um, messages last week said they're watching. So wherever you are in the world, thanks for tuning in. I'm not sure how your quarantine is going. Um, you're probably starting to um, get a little stir crazy. Maybe you're making a list of things that you miss. Um, maybe some of you are still working at home. Maybe some of you miss your job and wish you could go back. Maybe some of you don't have a job. I mean, it's, it's, it's beginning to get a little difficult, and there's lots of information coming out from different sources, state and federal. So we'll let you know how things are going. Um, we're going to keep doing this and trying to connect with you guys as much as we can until something changes. And as soon as it does, we will let you know. So I'm not sure what you miss. Maybe you have a job that you miss. Did a little research uh, this week about um, the best companies to work for based on the benefits, not just the pay, but the extra benefits that you get for working there. And I was shocked to see some of them. Like uh, if you worked at Google, Google kind of the, the state-of-the-art place to work. Here's what you get at Google. Besides getting a check, you get free food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, on-site haircuts. Um, you work for a place that is equipped with a gym and a swim-in-place pool. They have a game room, video games, tables, ping pong. They have, if you show up at work with your laundry, there's a laundry facility and a dry cleaning services right on premises, along with medical staff. So everything you need is right there, all free benefits, perks for working at Google. If you work for uh, the company SAS, business analytics software, get this. You have three weeks paid vacation and unlimited six days, sick days. You can be sick as many days as you want. There's healthcare centers at their offices, on-site childcare. Show up with your kids, they go to childcare, you go to work. Fitness center, they have a, co a college scholarship program for your kids, and there's no dress code. Where, I guess, what, how much of whatever you want. And then another one I looked at was Zappos, the shoe company. They have on-site wellness service. Let's get this. If you work for Zappos, one of the perks is you get pet insurance. So when your dog or cat or gerbil gets sick, you can take it in and it's covered by the, your work insurance for pets. Also at uh, Zappos, you get free food, breakfast, lunch, snacks, and breaks, monthly team outings. And one of the best things in the world is there's a nap room. Anytime during the day you need to get rejuvenated a little bit, go take a little nap, get back on your feet, and you're ready to go. Great, I mean, great benefits. I'm not sure of the benefits of working at Real Life. Um, uh, currently, the greatest benefit is you get to stare at me in a Zoom meeting once a week. That's the greatest benefit of being an employee at Real Life. Uh, so what are the benefits? Listen, we've been on this journey, and we're going to wrap up our searching series. That uh, uh, This starts our seventh week, and we're going to wrap it up today. And we've been talking about people who at one time or another said, I used to follow Jesus, and it doesn't work for me anymore, and now I'm moving a different direction. We talked about maybe you got bad information, maybe uh, you were raised in a, in a situation with a God that doesn't even exist, you were told stuff about a certain God, or somewhere along the line something happened to you and said, I just don't or can't believe anymore. 
And then the last couple weeks we've talked about, okay, what does it look like in your search? What would it look like to follow Jesus? Who, who is welcome to do that? And we found out it doesn't matter if you have doubts, if you're messed up, that being a sinner, being a messed up person is a, is a prerequisite for being a follower of Jesus. People think they're perfect, never bothered with Jesus. So today I just want to wrap up talking about what's the benefits? What are the perks of following Jesus? Why? What's the end game? What's, what, what's the, the, the result? If you follow Jesus, what can you expect? And, and why would you follow Jesus? And I think we're going to end up, whether if you've been raised in the church or you're brand new or you're reconsidering Jesus, I, I think this is going to be something new. In fact, it may be a little uncomfortable where we're going to end up. But just stay with me till the end. Don't, don't hit your mute or off button until we get done, all right? The benefits of following Jesus. Here's what it's not. Maybe you thought it was. I, I sure did. Um, the benefits of following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you look back, you're age 70 or 80, and you look back and you say, I'm so glad I followed Jesus. Here's what it's not. I'm going to follow Jesus and be a better person. Well, that may be true. You, you may become a better person. Some of the people who follow Jesus are the best people I know. Um, but Jesus never said, follow me and I'll make you a better person. You may learn to forgive quicker and be generous and kind, uh, but that Jesus never said, follow me and you'll be a better person. S- second, this is going to be controversial. Following Jesus is not go to heaven. The reason I follow Jesus is because I want to go to heaven. In fact, as uncomfortable as that makes us, um, Jesus didn't even talk a lot about heaven. He always referred to the kingdom of God. Of course, there's a heaven and faith in Jesus guarantees you a place there, but uh, Jesus never said, to his 12 buddies, to anyone listening when he preached, hey, the reason you should follow me is so you get to go to heaven. In fact, we know a story that uh, one of the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament gives us is Jesus is on the cross being crucified. He has two guys on either side of him. And one of them who says, yeah, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I deserve to be crucified. Jesus says, hey, listen, today, I promise you, you get to go to heaven. The guy admitted his guilt, and Jesus said, you, you get to go to heaven. And that guy never followed at all. He never went to synagogue. He never went to church. He never gave his money anywhere. He just got to go to heaven just without even following. So here's, here's the lesson. Listen, you can live your life however you want. You can do whatever you want all your life, and at the very last minute, the very last 30 seconds of your life, if you say, hey, uh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I believe in Jesus. You get to go to heaven. And so here's the problem, though. If you know your exact time of death, good for you. You can wait till that last, last second and then you know, take the chance and roll the dice that you're going to know, and then you can just live however you want and not follow anybody. And at the last three seconds of your life, you can follow Jesus and you get to go because the grace of God covers that problem is I don't know that anyone can predict our, our last seconds of death. So it's not just get to go to heaven. The other one that we get all mixed up with is it's not pain-free, problem-free. If you follow Jesus, you'll never have pain and you'll never have a problem. And you may have been raised in an environment that never said that outright, but sure made you feel like that. That once, once you follow Jesus, 
that hole in your heart, that emptiness and isolation disappears, that, that the rest of your life you just are walking on a cloud, everything's fine. That's just not true. In fact, anytime you hear someone in the name of Jesus say, if you do these three steps, say this prayer, give this much, buy this product, I guarantee God is going to bless you. If you hear someone talking like that, you need to run as fast as you can away from them. Because it's, it's, it's not the message of Jesus. In fact, everyone who followed Jesus in the Bible, especially people who are close to him, they had lots of problems, lots of pain in this world. In fact, when you hear stuff like that, that if you just do this, say this prayer the right way, give this much money, do this, that's not Christianity, that's magic. That's magic. And Jesus didn't come to be your magician. Here's the thing, all magic works sometimes. Let me give you a couple examples. What happens sometimes at churches, even, I mean, real life, any church, pick your church, is uh, we get uh, magical thinking mixed up with Jesus. You come to church when we're normally meeting, and um, you experience something at the, in the service, probably during a song, and you feel something, you feel close to Jesus, and then when you come back next week, you expect that same feeling. And once you don't get that feeling again, then you're disappointed, and you'll complain. Hey, th- what's wrong with the band? What, Kyle didn't preach well because I didn't get that feeling. So then we, as leaders, think, uh-oh, we got to recreate that feeling. And then we try to do that again because we want everyone. And then when we can't recreate that feeling, then we fake it and we manipulate you or the situation in order to create that feeling. That's not God. That's magic. That, that, that's playing to, to, to some kind of emotion, not, not to truth. And, and, and churches get caught up in that instead of just relaxing. Here's another one. If I said to you, um, you came to me and said, hey, I'm struggling, I need a job. And I said, oh, I've got the perfect formula for you to get a job. Here's what you do. Get up Monday morning, put on your interview clothes, um, unless you're going to work for SAS, and then you can wear whatever you want. But put on your interview clothes in order to go get a job. Stand in your doorway. Uh, you want to get a job, get on your job interview clothes. Open up into the Old Testament to the book of Job and, and read First and second chapters of the book of Job, you may call it Job, read first and second chapters of the book of Job, and I guarantee you in two weeks you'll get a job. Guess what? Someone, one of you that's listening, someone will get a job. You'll call me up and say, Kyle, it worked. I did that. I read the first two chapters. I stood in my doorway, and it worked because some, all magic works some of the time. And that's what happened is sometime along the way, you knew somebody or somebody did this and they prayed the right prayer or they did the right thing or they gave a lot of money and then bam something good happened to them. And then we say, ah, you should always do that and everybody for all time should be that. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't call you and Jesus didn't want to be in a relationship to be your magician. Let me give you one last example. Um, a week ago or so, uh, Bev Lamar, who was the chairman of our elder board at, at Real Life, um, she does a fantastic job. She just felt like we were in the middle of this pandemic and we weren't around each other and she just felt a need, let's get together and pray. So she asked the elders and their spouses to show up at um, the property that uh, Seven Acres Foundation owns that we are partners with, that we're going to build the community center on and that will be the ho- new home of Real Life Church. So she asked, let's show up there. I think it was... Uh, a week ago Wednesday, 
let's show up there and we'll just walk in a circle around the property and we'll pray. We didn't walk together. We socially distanced. We, didn't, we followed all the rules. And then for about 20 minutes, we just, Darlene and I walked around and we just prayed and we had a list of things to pray for. It was really great, all right? So that happened. A couple days later, we get um, word that the Seven Acres Foundation received, get ready, $500,000 grant that we were not expecting. It's a huge blessing. It was a shot in the arm. It's, it's said to all of our people on the board and everything, keep going. We're going to make it, and we are. We're moving fast. Uh, we're going to break ground, hopefully, in September. We're really doing well. But that gift was so extraordinary, and we all said, thank you, Jesus. We needed that. Thank you so much for that. But for me to say now, hey, let's go back to the property, and let's pray for 40 minutes, and maybe we'll get a million dollars. That, then that just becomes manipulative. And who says that we control what God does and how he does it? But following Jesus was never meant to be a formula that kept you from pain and problems in your life. So for the rest of time, I want to start then, if that's not it, what is it? What's the real promise, payoff, benefit, perk, why follow Jesus? What, what, what's the end game? Now, to do that, we're going to listen in on a conversation that Jesus has with uh, some guys. And to understand this, there's always three groups of people. When Jesus was here on earth, there's always three groups of people. There was the locals, wherever he was, whatever town he was in, they would come out to see him, all right? The second were the regulars. Um, there was a, a bunch of people, um, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They were always around because they were like... Um, if Jesus had a church, they'd be attenders, all right? But he didn't have a church. He was, he was just freelancing out and about. But then he had the inner circle of the 12 apostles or disciples. And um, this would be weird today. If you found out that Kyle had 12 guys that were always with him, and every once in a while he would just turn and teach them, and he would give them errands to run for them, and that would be really weird. During this time, it wasn't. To have a traveling rabbi who was training other men was a normal procedure, all right? So they had the locals, the regulars, and the 12. This conversation he's only having with the 12 disciples. So Matthew, who's one of the 12, one, the close people, the posse, the gang of Jesus, um, gives us this. And basically he says, um, Jesus says, hey, since you're part of the 12, since you're following um, here's what I want you to do. Here, I want you to preach the same message as I preach. I, I'm going to empower you to do the same things I do, and, and I'm going to tell you where to go, where to stay. And he's kind of giving them um, instructions as, they, as he sends them out to, to do some ministry on their own away from him. But then as he's giving out, hey, do it this way. Follow. Remember when I do this? Make sure you pray and ask God's help when you cast out demons or whatever, and give them all kinds of instructions. And then he stops and he kind of says, and this is what you can expect. Now listen, just, just so you know. What Matthew's about to tell us and what I'm about to read, it's not going to happen to you. All right? There, there, there's some negative outcomes here that we're going to look at. But just, it, these words aren't geared towards you because you're not one of the 12. All right? These things aren't going to happen to you. But it does give, a, I don't want to scare you off, but it does give us a picture of what Jesus is calling us to. And hold on, let me get through this. Just hold on, don't, don't, don't tune out yet, all right? Because in the middle of this conversation, we're gonna gain some, some great, great information. Here's what happens. Jesus turns to the 12 after saying, hey, 
go here, go there, take this, take this, make sure you have a little money, blah, blah, blah. Then he says, I am sending you out there like sheep among wolves. You've heard that phrase before. That's where it came from. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Watch out. Be, be careful out there. He says, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils, council and you'll be flogged in the synagogue. And, and, and that's when all the 12 stood back and said, wait a minute, wait, what? Flogged in the synagogue, flogged in the synagogue. If I had a Christian rock band, that would be my number one hit, flogged in the synagogue. I'm not sure what it would be about, but it has a nice ring to it. But when these guys heard it, it wasn't a nice ring because they knew that flogged in the synagogue meant as they went out on their own, things were going to turn bad. When you got flogged, two bad things happened. It hurt. Flogged meant you were going to be whipped. So you would have a permanent scar. So like, hey, you go to the beach, you take off your cloak, and you say, man, you got flogged. Yeah, I did. I got flogged in the synagogue. Let me tell you about it. The second thing that happened was um, you had a permanent record. So not only do you have the marks on your body, but you, everyone else can look up your record or know that, yeah, that's a marked dude because he was bad, and we know it because he's a record in the synagogue. None of the 12 expected this. At this point, as they were following Jesus, they were super popular. And if you're with Jesus, Jesus was popular, so you're with them, so you're popular. They never expected. At times, people who got flogged in the synagogue died. They couldn't have, I mean, this wasn't just like, hey, you're going to be persecuted. No, this was bad. And uh, I'm sure the 12 was like, oh, no, no, we didn't expect this. He keeps going. Jesus says, on my account, because of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to be able to talk about me and talk about hope and talk about future with kings and governors and not just to the Jews who you hang out with, but we're going to spread this. We're going to go worldwide. We're going public with everything. He keeps going. But when they arrest you, and immediately when they heard that, they're like, wait, wait, what? Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Jesus says, hey, when you get arrested, don't worry about what to say. And they're like, well, I thought we were part of a movement. I thought we were doing good. How, why, how are we going to get arrested? When arrested, don't worry about what to say. And if it was me, again, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but Jesus says, when you get arrested, don't worry about what to say. And I'm like, hey, Jesus, I'm not worried about what to say. I'm worried that I got arrested. I don't want to be arrested. I don't care about what to say. I want to be unarrested. He goes on. Don't worry about what to say. At that time, you'll be given what to say. And I would say, I don't care about what I, I don't, I don't care about what you're going to give me to say. I want to be given a get out of jail free card. Get me out of here. And Jesus says, this is what you can expect. He keeps going. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I would be like, wait, God almighty, God, the father is involved here. He's going to tell me what to say? Uh, that's all good and well if I'm preaching from the Lakeshine Building Supply studio. That's a great idea. But if I'm arrested, if I'm at the business end of a whip, and God, the Father Almighty, is involved, I don't want what to say. I want him to bail me out. So as you read these words, I remember hearing this as a kid, and you're like, okay, come on, disciples, buck up, you can do it. This is harsh stuff. Jesus says, you're going out, and this is what you can expect. And they said, no one told us it would be like this. 
When we started following, when we left our tax collecting business, when we left being fishermen, when, when we decided to, to leave our families, this is not what we expected. Now, I had a, uh, a best friend in college. His name was, was Mike. And right before uh, our senior year, he applied to be an intern with Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell in the 70s and 80s, even in the 90s, was a world-renowned um, apologist, a, um, a Christian speaker. He, would, he was in high demand. He wrote lots of books, and he was in high demand. So every year, Josh McDowell would hire two college guys to work with him and travel the country, travel the world, and be part of the ministry. Well, Mike, who later on became um, pastor of a couple large churches, and now he's um, president of a, a Christian camping association, uh, he thought, man, how great to be with Josh McDowell to learn how to speak, to learn how to communicate, to do what Josh McDowell does. He was so excited to be a, an intern for a year. So he went and did his internship, and uh, he got back, and I said, how'd it go? And he said, to be honest with you, it wasn't a lot of fun. I said, what happened? He said, well, after a month or two, all we were doing was busy work, was grunt work. Josh would fly to Atlanta, and me and the other intern would get in the van, and we would drive to Atlanta. We would set up the book table, and we would sell books, and then after that, we would drive back. Then when we got back, we, we would go to the library, and he was writing a book, so we would do all, check all his notes and everything. We would do all the setup, and so I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, after a couple months, I was mad. So the other intern and I sat down with Josh, and, he, and Josh says, how's it going? And Mike said, well, not too well. You didn't tell us it was going to be like this. All we ever do is drive and set up the book table. We, we, all we do is take down and set up, and we're stuck in a library, and, and it feels like you're taking advantage of us, and, and you don't appreciate us, and, and Mike just kind of let him have it. And Josh McDowell, I'm sure, paused, long pause, and looked him in the eye and said, welcome to ministry. He said, every time I go to a speaking engagement, do you think they care about what my family life is like? Do you think they care about what emotions I'm feeling? All they care about is getting me up there and making me speak and trying to get me to speak other places and and i feel taken advantage every single time i show up to speak somewhere i sat back i remember mike telling me that and i thought oh man that's pretty powerful that mike signed up to be an intern and thought he was going to be hey look at me i'm on top of the world and he learned how to minister he didn't learn how to be the upfront guy these guys are the same place he says hey listen you're going to be arrested uh, and all the 12 are like, okay, let, let, let's review here. Going to be arrested, probably going to be flogged, going to be put on tri- trial, and God's going to be involved in this thing? When all this stuff's going bad, God is involved? And Jesus says, that's exactly right. And again, if God is involved with my life, like the 12, I'm like, man, if you're involved, then do something good for me. Get me unarrested. Get me out of this situation. Then Jesus gets to the point of the whole morning together here, and that's this. Then he says, don't be afraid. Yep, going to get flogged, going to get arrested, going to be bad, but don't be afraid. Yep, yep, all that stuff's going to happen. He goes on, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's like, man, lighten up a little bit, Jesus. That's a little harsh. He's saying, listen, 
Don't be afraid of the circumstances around you. Be more concerned about stuff that's bigger than this, that God Almighty is involved with you, that Jesus the Savior is involved with you. Don't be so concerned about your immediate circumstances because that's temporary. Be much more concerned about the, your soul and other people's soul and stuff that matters for all eternity. Get past, you don't have to be afraid because God Almighty is with you. When you concentrate on your circumstances, that's when fear sets in. And Jesus introduces something that I believe is, if not one of, the most uh, um, beneficial perks of following Jesus. He wasn't trying to lecture him. He wasn't saying, hey, sit down, learn this. He knew it would be an ongoing process for these guys to learn. And this was, here's what the message was not. The message was not, don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen to you. That's magic. The message was, don't be afraid when bad things happen to you. Because the benefit, the perk, the ultimate payoff of following Jesus is this. You receive a faith that overwhelms fear. Any fear. In fact, what would happen every morning if you said this? You got up and you said, maybe before your feet hit the floor, you said this. What would someone like me do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me and for me? I know that's tough. And Listen, if you're struggling with that, if you've struggled with that, join the club. All right, it's a pro- I'm, I'm with you. I'll have more to say about that in just a second. But I think that's where Jesus wants to take us. The benefit of following Jesus is you develop a faith that is bigger than your fear. Not that your problems go away, that you have a faith that dominates the fears around you. Not a place of denial or hocus pocus, or, um, but a real place where faith overwhelms your fear. Let me tell you why I think why. Okay, here we go overwhelming faith honors God. When you have faith, not in your ability, but in who God is, that honors God. For example, if I overheard one of my daughters, they're older now, but at any point in their life, if I overheard one of my daughters say something like, they're on the phone, "Um, yeah, I know it might look that way, but my dad would never do that. You can trust him. Yeah, no, uh, maybe someone told you that, but my dad would never do that. I would think, wow, Uh, in spite of a lack of information, they're still going by who they think I am in my character. My dad always keeps his word. I'd be like, man, my daughters are great. How honoring would that be if you overhear your kids talking well about you? And that's the same way, that's what our, our faith does when other people see us. It honors God. We honor God when we exercise big, bold, audacious faith. Not, not denial, not, not mamby, pamby, just look the other way and don't acknowledge problems. But in the middle of your problem, think, okay, no. I'm going to trust that God's going to get me through this and I'm going to honor him in the process. Another thing, overwhelming faith frees us to love. Again, I'm moving quickly. All of these are a sermon in themselves. Frees us to love. When you have faith that overwhelms fear, you start learning to love other people who are very unlovable. Jesus comes along and he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And we're like, I don't even love the people around me, let alone my enemies. And Jesus, why would I love people who persecute me? People who persecute me are persecuting me. They have power over me. They're causing damage. Why would I love people like that? Um, When you have 
confidence in God, when your faith is in him, a love, he creates a love inside of us that has parameters enough to love people that are completely unlovable. As much as you're like, you want to have a grudge against those people, man, it frees you up. All that, all that baggage of your hatred or, or, or your concern about other people that, uh, who, who are just messing with your life, all that disappears because y- your faith overwhelms the fear of how those people treat you. John, one of the 12, tells us there's no fear in love. Perfect, perfect love drives out fear. And that's what you develop when you have a faith that overwhelms your fear. Uh, Second, it's attractive to others. Attractive to other people, okay? Have you ever met someone who says stuff like this? Um, Their world's falling apart. They're in the middle of a crisis, maybe surrounded by pain. And they say stuff like, well, we'll just have to see what God's up to. We'll just have to trust God. This didn't take God by surprise. God can probably use this for good. When we hear that stuff, when, when we're in pain and people say that stuff to us, we say, J- go away. That, 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 that's not helpful. But when people are in the middle of their own pain and they say that, you think, oh, they're just in denial. Or they must be on something or they should be on something because that doesn't make sense. You can't be that confident in the middle of that much pain. But Jesus says, when you follow, you start developing a faith that overwhelms that, that you have so much confidence in God, not in yourself, that um, you wish you could, uh, uh, when you see that in other people, you wish you could be that way. When you hear people like that and they're really sincere, you think, man, I wish I could be more like that. Listen, I wish I could be more like that. I wish I didn't have to chew everything over in my mind, worry about everything till I figure it out. Then the problem is I can never figure out everything. And then Jesus comes along and he says, fear not. And I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not telling you the situation that you are in is easy. I'm saying I have enough ability and power and wisdom to get you through it. There is a faith that overwhelms fear. And that's where Jesus is trying to lead us. A couple more. Faith that overwhelms fear produces confidence. Uh, Paul, not one of the 12, Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he never met Jesus on earth. He learned what he knew about Jesus from Peter and John and Matthew and Luke and those guys. So he, he never hung out with Jesus, but he learned what he knew later from Jesus the 12. Uh, some 20 years after the, resur- the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul sits down and he writes a letter to Christians who were in a ton of pain. They're in Rome. They're being persecuted. It's not going well for them. And Paul, with this faith that overwhelms fear, says this, and we know, and you think, Paul, you hope. Or Paul, you believe. No, Paul says, no, I know that in all things, all bad things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul didn't say, I know that God will keep you from all bad things. Paul says, I know that God can work good in all the bad that we encounter. Imagine living with that kind of confidence. I'm in the middle of something difficult. I know it's possible, but I want to have the confidence that God is involved. I was talking to Graham um, 
the associate pastor here at Real Life, and he works with youth group among many things. And he had this great trip, mission trip planned to Alaska. It was a great organization. They're, they're going to meet a lot of needs. And he had the most kids he's ever had signed up to go on the trip and a lot of kids that were kind of on the edge that want to go. And, and we just came to the conclusion and with his staff, he decided it's just not going to work to do that trip. And I remember having a conversation just last week saying, this is one of those times, man, where I'm like, God, what are you doing? What, what are you thinking? This was set up to be some of the best things for these kids. It would be life-changing. And like, God, what, what's going on? There's times where you think in that minute that what I think is like, no, nah, this trip should happen. And God's saying for some reason, it's not going to happen. Now, they're in the midst of planning a different trip to the Washington coast, and we'll get more information to you later on that. But there's times where you say, I don't understand. My friend's sick. My friend has cancer. My, my, my buddy's going through a divorce. My, my, I don't get it. But in the midst of that, Jesus says there's a way to have faith that overcomes that situation. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Not, and the answer is No. Famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? The answer is no. I added a few. Pandemic, joblessness, poor health, wayward children. There's no virus, there's no pandemic, there's no loss of anything that can separate you from the love of Jesus. It's impossible. Let me add a few more. Republicans in the House, Democrats in the Senate... President Trump, Governor Inslee, some of you just woke up. Like, yeah, that Trump, he's, uh, he is wrecking, he's destroying our world. Others of you are like, Governor Inslee, you, you're not the dictator of me. Again, I, I, whatever side you take, I'm not defending either side. I am saying this, God's bigger than any president and any governor. And whatever fear you have, whatever situation you're in, I'm not being cavalier, I'm not diminishing the pain that you're going through at all. But I'm saying, and you need to remind, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, God's bigger than this. This didn't take God by surprise at all. God is in the midst of this pandemic and this virus, and he is actively working and asking you to follow him in it. And I know it's difficult. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you look at everything that's going on around you and said, how can there be a God? God, Jesus promised that there was going to be a situation and pain. Get this next one and we're done. A faith that overwhelms fear also gives us overcoming peace. Peace that overcomes our situation. Jesus looked at his closest followers and he says to you, what, if you're a follower and when you start to follow, I've told you these things. I've told you all this stuff. I've been with you all this time. So that in me, you can have peace in the midst of fear. In this world, you will have trouble, guaranteed. But take heart, I've overcome the world. God is bigger than the situation. Jesus promised we would go through difficult things, but promised to go through it with us and promised that as we follow, there's a way. And listen, in my 57 years, I'm just starting to learn a little bit. There's a way to take a deep breath and relax and say, okay, all right. I don't like the situation. God, I would love you to change it. 
but I'm going to attempt to have a faith that overwhelms the fear that I'm experiencing. And I know that faith doesn't come from who I am. It comes from you. So what do we do? I want to be real practical this morning. And I, I want to give you three things, and I, I think that, that there's some things that you can do to be practical. First of all, choose faith over fear. That's like, hey, how do I run a marathon? Well, just run 26.12 miles. Well, that's stupid. I, don't you have to train for it? Yeah. So I'm saying choose faith over fear. Quit worrying about how well you pray, how much church you attend, how much Bible you know, how obedient am I. Just, just follow. Just relax and follow. Uh, take steps that force your faith to grow. Take a step that says, ah, oh, I'm scared to do that. And maybe it's just a small step, but ah, oh, I don't know about that. Go ahead and take it. Like Some of you are not even sure you believe in God or that there is a God. Take some steps that force you to find out. Listen, some of us at some time may need to get some help that our fear has us stuck. Maybe we struggle with anxiety or, or depression or, or, or some kind of fear has got us stuck. And if you're hearing me say, just stop being that way. If you had faith, you wouldn't be that way. I'm not saying that. Sometimes we get stuck in our fear and you need to get some help. Uh, maybe you need to see a counselor, give a call. They'll talk to you Zoom-wise or on the phone. Maybe you need to talk to a friend. Maybe you need to give me a call. But something to get unstuck. Because a lot of us get trapped in our fear, and it's tough to get loose in that. And sometimes we need some extra help. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Two, accept that you're in a marathon, not a sprint. If you're like, man, I've been a follower for a while, and I struggle with this. I get overwhelmed by my situation. Fear seems to dominate me. and I, Me too. I'm with you. Know that this is, this is a process that you, we may have to stop and start many times. Man, this week, man, I trusted God so well. Next week, ah, I, I'm struggling. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a process. Let me give you something that I discovered um, know, just months ago. My youngest daughter, Olivia, said, hey, Dad, have you seen this uh, church home app that uh, Chelsea and Judith Smith run? Uh, they're pastors at um, um, Church Home Church in Kirkland. I changed the name of it a couple years ago. So Libby says, hey, Dad, have you seen this app? You download the app, and they're guided prayers like meditation. And I thought, guided prayer, that's like a Ouija board or something. And so I, I, I didn't, I, I thought, I pat her on the head and said, Nice, nice try. And then she was recommended to other people and some of our friends, and I'm hearing from these people how great it is and how it was helping them, especially with their anxiety and stress. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll try it. Listen, I don't miss a day now. I do my, I get up in the morning for everyone else, and I'm up early, and so I spend some time looking at the world's news, and then I spend some time reading God's Word, and then I do a guided meditation. They're five minutes. Listen, Please, somebody. I keep recommending this to everybody, and no one's listening. One of you, and then let me know you did it, all right? What, just go to your, if you don't, if you don't know that the app store, I can't help you. You need to get some help. Go to the app store, search for Church Home, and download the app. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, open the app, press the button, and Monday's guided meditation will be there. They'll walk you, you through it. It's like five minutes. And 
um, based on scripture. They have you interact with it. Sometimes there's some breathing. Sometimes you raise your hand. Sometimes It's been so fantastic for me to just calm me down and relax, to remind me that there's something bigger than myself in my situation. I thoroughly and wholeheartedly would recommend um, doing something like that. That in your process, not overnight, not by listening to a sermon, ah, all of a sudden I have enough faith that overwhelms fear, that you would slowly begin to develop that. Regardless of how much you believe or how you believe or how you behaved or what you've done bad, or that, the process is still ongoing. God's for you. God's with you. Last one. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the greatest things you could do is through your faith, offer God's peace to other people. Like you, you're learning to have a faith that overwhelms fear, and you struggle and be honest about that. That's okay. But when you come alongside other people and you offer that peace to them, it is life for them. I've told you this before. There's so many times where I'll say something, and I've done it this week, where I'll say, listen, I know you're struggling, but God's with you. God's for you. God's going to turn this pain into something good. And I'll believe that for the both of us until you're ready to believe that. That's, that's what a follower of Jesus does. We come alongside other people who are struggling. Maybe they're off track. Maybe they're just in pain. And we believe for the both of us until they're ready to believe. The good news is all, most of Jesus' followers struggle with this stuff. He'd say, hey, do you believe? And they'd say, we're trying, but we can't do it. Everyone, all the closest followers of Jesus when he was arrested, quit believing. All of them struggled along the way. There were doubts all along. So you can rest assured, if you struggle with doubt, if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with worry, so did everyone else who followed Jesus. But the good news is that there is a faith that overwhelms our fear our fear of disease, our fear for our wayward kids, our fear for our jobs, our fear for our future, that God is bigger than all that, and we get to partner in faith with him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for this message. Thanks for the weird harshness of Jesus' direction to the 12 as he sent them out, and it seems so weird. But at the same time, God, we know that we live in a world that's full of pain. And so we ask First of all, that those of us who are trying to follow and want to follow, that you continue to develop a faith that begins to overwhelm and conquer our fear. And God, for those of us who have yet to follow and we feel like we're walking away from Jesus, I ask that you would just help us stop and reconsider Jesus, that you offer more than anyone else, anything else can offer. And we pray for a faith that gets us through tough times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, God bless you all in your your pandemic and quarantine. We're going to get through it. Have a great, great Sunday. See ya. Love ya. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for our service today. Don't forget, if you're one of those teenagers going on the mission trip, 3 p.m. today, Zoom meeting. Also, if you need a CareNet bottle, contact me at any time, and we will get that to you. Hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time.